Wade into Wealth, taking one of life's most intimidating topics, money, your financial well-being, and providing simple, easy-to-understand ways to be more comfortable with your own financial health. This is Wade into Wealth, brought to you by the Wade Group at Brighton Securities. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Wade into Wealth. We are marching our way through the month of May, and that means we are inching closer to May 20th which is when we want to remind you uh, is our annual shred day at the Rochester office from 1 to 4 p.m. That's in the afternoon. Shred that right up. Don't need it. Nope. Uh, we should also mention that we're back uh, in full high definition. Although we may, I may need video. that. that, that you may is, need that. Uh, that was uh, our outline, but that's okay. That's okay. It is our most popular. Yep. I think it's our most popular event. And it has free, yep. in, our, in the Rochester office, has free ice cream. Yeah, who doesn't love that? Get rid of your your uh, sensitive documents, have free ice cream, and you don't have to be clients. Nope. Bring coworkers, friends, neighbors, whomever. Your don't pets. F- don't forget. Eh, don't don't forget shred your, your pets, though. Don't shred your pets and don't forget your documents. Right. Bring your documents. Mm-hmm. Um, they can, yeah, anything you have, uh, if you think it, uh, or, you know, don't hesitate to give us a call or email and ask, I've got these documents, should I keep them? That's a fairly... Uh, Fairly common one. How many years of tax returns should I be holding on to? Because we have folks that have them from into the 80s or 90s. Well, you don't need to I'm hold gonna, on to them for I'm that. I'm going long. to ask you. I don't know. I think maybe Dave would say Dave Maniosi or CPA, maybe seven or eight years. But don't quote me on it. No. I don't. I don't know the definitive number of years you should keep. Well, this is why you ask. Yep. And so we can ask and find out. That's right. Don't uh, ask us. So shred day, May 20th, from one to four. In the afternoon, that's at 1703 Monroe Avenue here in the lovely town of Brighton, 14618. Mm-hmm. On to some news that may be a bit more gloomy, if, uh, if you will, and that is the uh, stock market, which has been uh, quite turbulent, choppy. I hear the word volatile a lot. I don't tend to use that word just because I hear it so much. I get tired of using it, but it's been a little choppy lately. It's been a tough market. Um, Up and down. Yeah, we're recording this on Friday afternoon, so we don't know what happened on Monday or Tuesday of next week. Um, But yesterday, which was Thursday, May 5th, all the major market indices down significantly. The S&P 500 down 4%. Um, You know, the worst day for the indices since 2020. Not a great day. And, and that comes on the heels of what was a very good day. The Dow was up 900 points and the news that the Federal Reserve plans to continue with their interest rate increases in the neighborhood of about half of 1%, which those that's the biggest jump since 2000. 2000. Yeah, right. meaning, so meaningful. in 22 years, that's a, big, that's a big jump. And we're in an environment now where I just looked, the 30-year average 30-year mortgage rates, five over five and a quarter percent. Yeah. As high as it, the last time it was that high was 2009. Interest rates are likely to continue to go up. Yeah. Bank savings, not likely to go up meaningfully. <laughs> Nearly as much, no. No. Um, so we're swimming in a pool right now where the water is a different temperature than it's been. It is. And, you know, we go, we think to what two years ago was like. And we have yeah. a couple days, uh, Wednesday, May 4th. The market, the Dow Jones was up almost 1,000 points. Yep. Uh, Thursday, May 5th, the Dow Jones was down more than 1,000 points. Mm-hmm. And that was, I mean, if we go back to March of 2020, that was a, almost a daily occurrence 
for the better yeah. part of uh, what what felt like a daily occurrence for weeks. The third week of March was a pretty rough week. We had multiple yeah. days where there were drops over a thousand points at that point in time. Some perspective, though, if you will, I think that's something we can do well from time to time here. If we consider percentages instead of the the number mm-hmm. itself, uh, yesterday or Thursday's drop doesn't even crack the top twenty in terms of the worst days in the market because percentages allows us to make more of an appropriate comparison because a thousand point drop when the Dow Jones is starting at thirty three thousand is different than a thousand point drop when the Dow's at nine thousand. Of course, yeah. So percentages will give us a more honest picture. It's still not great. You still notice it. But perspective always helps. And what we know, you know, there's a good example from uh, 2008 that if you had just stayed invested mm-hmm. and didn't abandon the ship, you made 100% of your money back if you were invested in the index in two years. Mm-hmm. If you missed just the first 30 days, I believe it's only 50% return right. over that time. If you right. missed the first 60 days, it drops down to probably 30 to 35 and if you missed the first 90 days, just the first three months of the recovery, you probably only made back a quarter of, of the money that, that you had given up. And the point there is not to try to time the market. It's that no one will know when the market will hit its right. bottom. But what we do know is that once it has hit its bottom, in order for you to make back the paper losses that, that you have incurred, you have to be invested. Because some of those best days come shortly after the worst days. And if you miss those best days, you will also miss your chance to make back the money that that you've given up. Very likely. Historically speaking, the most important days of market recoveries after recessions and significant dips in the market have come within 14 days of the market hitting its bottom. Yeah. We, we don't, don't know, know when, when the bottom, bottom is. is. Right. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> well, that's the caveat you have yeah. to make is that we don't know when it is. But that is why you, we try to do several things. Right. Own a diversified portfolio of investments. Own investments that are of good quality. By good quality, we mean companies that are not necessarily speculative. Um, think, talk about right now, what are some kinds of investments that you would consider speculative? Bitcoin. Okay, cryptocurrency is one. Marijuana companies. Cannabis companies, that's another one. Penny stocks in general. Mm-hmm. If something's trading for less than a dollar a share, there's a reason. There's likely a reason. I mean, even less than five. Uh, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Right. So those are examples of speculative investments. I would add in another category of what I would call a speculative investment is where there's more than one layer of things that need to go right for the investment to work. Where I'll give you an example. I've seen them before where you say, well, this company is expecting a court decision to be made. There's a ruling they're expected. And if that happens, then it's going to skyrocket. Well, mm-hmm. that to me, that's a speculative investment. Well, sure. What you're, is, you're betting on an event happening. Right. Yeah. That, that is outside of your control, obviously, but also that's outside of the control of the company itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. When you're looking at investments, you want to look at, I would say, first and foremost, is this a company that makes or sells a good or product or service that you know people know and use? Yeah. Do they pay a dividend? How have they performed in previous periods of a recession or market downturns? And does it seem like it has a lot of sizzle to it? Right. 
Because often the most quality investments are going to have very little sizzle and they're going to be very boring. Right. When's the last time somebody talked about it on CNBC? Right. Yeah. I would prefer to be as far away from that as possible yeah. yep. when looking for companies to invest in. Very rarely are companies that have consistently risen their dividends talked about as a hot buy. <laughs> yeah. And the reality is if you're in retirement and you're taking distributions out of your account, mm -hmm. you should have some cash set aside on the right. sidelines in that account to cover a period of, of your monthly distributions so that you don't have to sell your equity investments, your stock investments, when we have a downturn in the market like this. And I, I had a, a, a client ask the other day, well, if the market goes down a lot, do we have to alter our distributions? Well, possibly, mm -hmm. but not definitively, because you want to be proactive in the fact that you don't want to time the market, but you want to go into it, into your retirement, knowing that there will be bad times. There will be mm -hmm. challenging times. And so keep some cash, on the sidelines, if you know that you're taking out $3,000 a month from your account, well, maybe you're keeping eighteen to 20000 on the sidelines. Maybe you're keeping a full year's worth, 35000 36000 technically, on the sidelines. So that when we have a challenging market, you can look at it and say, well, our, the money we're taking out of this account for the next 6, 12, mm -hmm. 18 months isn't even at risk. It's on right. the sidelines, and we have access to it. Right. And... While it won't make you anything on the sidelines, it won't go down. No. But if that prevents you from abandoning the ship for your stock investments when the when the tide changes and the storm comes, it's worth itself in spades. Absolutely. There is also a real case to be made for this is why if you are taking distributions from your investments, it's important to make sure you're taking an amount that is reasonable. Yes. And by reasonable yep. meaning, look, it's fine. When the market's going up, if the market's up 20% and you're taking out 8 or 9% of your investments, well, that's that. you don't notice that. That masks a problem. Right. That hides an issue. But when, when it becomes an issue is when things drop. And all of a sudden now you're saying, well, my investments are down. What's going on? And the answer often is, well, you're withdrawing an amount that's not sustainable. Yep. That issue is masked when things are going well. When things are not going well, you can really start to feel it because if your investments are down 10, 11, 12% and you're taking out another eight, well, even I, who is not great with math on the spot, if we're down 12 and you're taking out eight at the end of the year, you're down 20. Right. And that's and you're just creating a bigger problem. That's where it becomes really problematic. So uh, because moderation. then you're going to have to yeah. sell investments, right? You're going to have to sell investments at prices and valuations that perhaps you otherwise wouldn't want to, if you had your way and you had your choice, which meant less money and less capital to be able to rebound. Well, right, because then you're you then that's when you start to rethink your withdrawal strategy. Then yeah, is oh okay. Well, you know, I've been saying maybe I shouldn't take as much, but now. I can see why this is a problem. So now you're having to think about, well, do I need to alter my lifestyle? Mm -hmm. Because if you're withdrawing that much, I, in most cases, you're not just saving it at the bank. It's usually being spent. Likely. So very likely there, those, those things are important to consider. So, um, best advice we can give spend less than you make. That's a good one. That's a good one. It's the best one. Oh. It has nothing to do with stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, yeah. 
Spend less than you make. If you do that, when you go through these challenging times in the markets, your portfolio is going to be able to hold up fine. There's a big difference between saving and not spending. Correct. Not spending is the easier of the two. That we are in control of. Mm -hmm. So let's end with um, what's causing all of this? Because we talked about some things. I mean, obviously, the fact that interest rates are, are quite high is one thing. But that's not, yep. the, only, it's not the only thing. I'm assuming you filled well, your it's car also, up with uh, gas lately. Yeah, it's uncertainty. Yeah, it's always uncertainty. The the your favorite word. What creates volatility in the marketplace mm -hmm. or the markets is always uncertainty. What's always different is the cause of that uncertainty. Yeah, interest rates. We don't know, didn't know how much the Federal Reserve is going to raise them and and by how many times they will do that this year. What's going on between Ukraine and Russia? No one knows what that end game will right, look like. Right. And that also creates further issues for our supply chain because the Federal Reserve is trying to bring inflation down by dampening demand, and their method for doing that is by raising interest rates. Mm -hmm. I would argue you would probably agree one of the biggest causes to inflation right now and prices being higher isn't on the demand side. It's the supply. It's more on the supply side. Right. So what's going on between Ukraine and Russia, major exporters of wheat, even probably larger exporters of fertilizer mm -hmm. and fertilizer inputs used by farmers around the world yep. is going to create more issues on the supply right. side. So the Federal Reserve will do what they can, can do and attempt to do it, but they can only impact one half of that right. equation, which means we're likely to see inflation still. We're likely to see them increase interest rates more. So there's uncertainty there. Yeah. And we're also in a midterm election year. Yep. Which is kind of being uh, overshadowed in certain ways, I guess, unless you're really focused on that, with other current events that are going on in the world because that election's yeah. not happening for, for a couple more months. Yeah. But any time that there is uncertainty in the markets, you're going to see the fluctuations and you're going to see the ups and downs. Yeah. And the supply and demand's out of whack. It has the been, things it that will there continue is, to be. That there is demand for, there is very little supply of. And right. what there is now supply of, the demand has weakened. Hand sanitizer. I, we, we remember a time not too long ago, you couldn't find hand sanitizer. Uh, COVID tests. Well, the demand, right. The demand for hand sanitizer is down 50%. Yeah. We did a podcast where we talked about ketchup packets. Yep. Because people are, you know, we're doing takeout. Well, do you need ketchup packets now? Not necessarily. People are going back out to restaurants. Mm -hmm. People are returning to pre-pandemic ways almost entirely. And but so, you almost can't find baby formula, yeah. which is frightening. Yes, yes. That's, I mean, that, that, is, that's uh, that is a real concern uh, when you go to the shelves and you see that there's almost no baby formula. Yeah, that, that's a serious one. It is scary. It's a serious yeah. one. So... Um, yeah, supply and demand is really what's driving it. Uh, Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, said he thinks there is a good chance that uh, what the Federal Reserve is doing could lead to a soft or soft-ish landing. I don't know how much confidence that yeah. instilled. I mean, but I, I hope would that's think, the case. I hope that's but the who case. Knows? But if you think about that, I mean, we, I, we've been on an airplane before where there's turbulence. Everything's okay in the end, but there are periods yeah. there where you're like, oh, what's happening 
And it also wouldn't be the first time that our economy has gone into a recession. Uh, no. It wouldn't be the first time. Nor will it be the last. Nor will it be the last. And the reality is, you go back to 1975, the S&P was at 100. Today, it's north of 4,000. Right. And there have been plenty of geopolitical issues in that time. There have been recessions in that time. There have been market crashes. There have been wars, multiple wars. 100 to 4,000. It's a good return if you stayed with it. If you stayed with it, which was the hardest choice. But... We mentioned a couple podcasts ago. Your favorite word, volatility, is the price you pay for superior returns. And that's where we'll end it. This is Wade into Well. Back with more next week. Contact the Wade Group at Wade Group at BrightonSecurities.com or find them on Facebook or Twitter at The Wade Group. Thanks for listening to Wade into Wealth, brought to you by the Wade Group at Brighton Securities.